0: well good morning new day so good to see you guys thanks so much for coming out thanks to everyone who's tuned in online however you're joining us today we're really glad that you're here if you're new right now we're in a mini series within the gospel of matthew on the subject of the parables of jesus today we're in matthew chapter 13 And we're covering specifically the parable of the weeds. In verses 24 to 30, Jesus shares the parable of the weeds. And then in verses 36 to 43, Jesus explains the parable of the weeds. And I think you're just going to really enjoy this particular parable because by design, it was intended to encourage So you know how in certain sermons we are being exhorted to perform some good action and how in other sermons we're being implored to repent of something sinful in our lives. Well, today's sermon was just specifically given to bring encouragement to the child of God. And I don't know about you, but I'm just real happy that we have uh, sermons like this uh, occasionally interspersed with the other ones because we need encouragement along the way. And that's what Jesus provides both this week uh, and next week, actually. So with that said, let's begin with the context, which is absolutely essential this week to understanding the text. So here's the deal. Jesus told the parable of the weeds to answer a very simple question the disciples had about Jesus's kingdom, which was this. Jesus When are you going to root out evil from your kingdom? You see, according to the Old Testament prophets, when Messiah came, he would root out evil from the world so that his kingdom could be characterized by righteousness and so that God's law would be the standard throughout the land. For example, I'll just give you one for instance. In uh, Isaiah... Isaiah tells us that when Messiah begins ruling as king over the earth, he will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. And with the wicked being destroyed, then he will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. So in accordance with the prophetic writings, the Jews were very much looking forward to the time when their Messiah, their king, would come and just kind of change the world. Root out evil, replace it with righteousness. And we can understand their excitement at the thought of living in a world where righteousness reigned. So under Messiah's rule, there would be no more uh, murderers, no more uh, pedophiles, no more kidnappers, uh, no more... um, rapists, no more, just all things that are evil removed. So all evil people, all sources of temptation under Messiah's rule, it would just be uh, removed. So Here are Jesus's disciples and they believe on him as Messiah. So they believe that he is the king who's going to remove evil from the world. But such a purging of evil has not yet materialized under Jesus's ministry. And so do you know what Jesus's disciples begin to do? Uh, They begin to encourage him to get the purge going. For example, when Jesus, towards the end of his ministry, was ready to die for the sins of the world, he relocated from Galilee in the north, and he headed down south to Judea, specifically Jerusalem in the south, to die for the sins of the world. But on the way, they made a pit stop in Samaria which was between Galilee in the north and Judea in the south. They stopped in Samaria. Now, the Samaritans previously had been pretty open to Jesus's ministry. But at this point, they refused to receive Jesus. So they rejected Jesus, the Messiah. They rejected Jesus, the king. And when they refused to receive him, we read this. When James and John saw this, saw the people's rejection of Jesus, the king, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up for rejecting you? Now, I don't know about you, but I've read this in the past and just gone, what in the world is this suggestion? I mean, where does such a suggestion come from? This is like crazy. It's just way out in left field. But the reality is it's actually not. In accordance with the Old Testament prophetic writings, in accordance with the Messianic prophecies, when King Messiah came, he would root out evil from the world. And Jesus hadn't done that yet. So now we see them encouraging him to go ahead and kind of get with the program. And he's fulfilled so many other uh, Old Testament prophecies. Now they want him to fulfill this one as well. But here's the deal. In response to the disciples' request to destroy the wicked, here's what we read in Luke 9.55. Jesus turned and rebuked them. So the disciples are kind of confused. Here's what Messiah is supposed to do when he comes, but Jesus is not rooting out evil at our request that he does so. We have received a stern rebuke. Jesus, what's going on? Clearly the answer to our question, when will evil be rooted out of the world? Clearly the answer is not now, because we got a rebuke when we requested that you do so. So Jesus, our question then is, when will you do what you're supposed to do as Messiah? Jesus, when will you root out evil from the world? When will God's children finally get to live without the presence of evil and without the pain and the suffering that evil people cause in the world? When will God's word be law and be the standard throughout the earth? Jesus, when will the earth be characterized by righteousness instead of wickedness? And friends, I don't know about you, but like the disciples, I I long for the same thing. I long for the earth to be characterized by righteousness instead of wickedness. We live in a period of temporary insanity is what I call it. In our society, things that are evil are called good and things that are good are called evil. Everything is literally upside down. And the world's getting increasingly wicked, not increasingly righteous. You sign on online and you check out your newsfeed, and you see all the atrocities committed from one person to another and you just cry out like the disciples, Lord, when is everything going to be put right? Lord, when is evil going to be rooted out? Jesus, you are the promised king that God said he would send into the world. So why is your kingdom not characterized by righteousness? Why is it characterized by so much evil? And you can just get so discouraged uh, when you kind of look at the landscape, the spiritual landscape, to see that things are not as God originally intended, nor do they seem to be uh, being restored back to uh, the good world that God originally created. And so right along with the disciples, we cry out to Jesus saying, when... When is it going to happen? When will evil be rooted out of this world? Jesus, when will God's law be the standard, be the norm? When will the world be characterized by righteousness instead of so much evil? And friends, today, in the parable of the weeds in Matthew 13, we get an answer to that very question. If you're taking notes today, the first thing we see in our text is what we're going to call simply the story the story. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly lesson. And here is the parable or story of the weeds. Jesus said this, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So friends, that's the story, the parable of the weeds. Now, if you're completely lost at this point, know this, you are in good company. Because when Jesus shared this same parable to his disciples, who were much more familiar with these kind of scenarios even than we are, they too were completely lost. They didn't have a clue. And that's why the second thing that we see in our text after the story is what we're going to call the symbols. So first the story and now the symbols. After Jesus shared the parable, uh, his disciples came to him saying, Jesus explain to us the parable of the weeds. And so Jesus now begins explaining the symbolism uh, of the story. Now note with me that the disciples call this the parable of the weeds, not the parable of the wheat nor do they call it the parable of the weeds and the wheat, even though wheat and weeds are both mentioned. And the reason that they call it the parable of the weeds versus something else is because the weeds are mentioned eight times, whereas the wheat is only mentioned four. And so they rightly discern that Jesus's focus was indeed on the weeds over against the wheat. So as we study through this and look at the seven different uh, symbols in the story, uh, note and pay special extra attention to Jesus's focus on the weeds. And that'll help you to rightly get uh, the meaning that Jesus wants us to get uh, from this text. All right, there's seven different symbols in the story. Uh, Don't worry, each one is relatively short, and we're just going to go ahead and systematically work our way through. But here's the first of the seven symbols. Jesus begins as follows. He says, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. In Jesus' parable, the one who sowed the good seed was the farmer who was the owner of the field. And now Jesus explains that the farmer symbolizes the Son of Man. Now, when Jesus said the Son of Man, the Jews would have instantly understood he was referencing a messianic title from Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel 7, Daniel has a dream, and in that dream there appeared one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, another name for God, the father and was presented before him. And to him, the son of man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed." So here God the Father gives glory and dominion and an everlasting kingdom to the Son of Man. So Jesus then applies this title to Himself. So friends, the farmer then in the story represents Jesus who is the Son of Man who will one day receive glory and dominion and a kingdom that He will reign over forever. So again, the farmer represents who it represents it represents Jesus. Jesus. that's right. Very good. <laughs> All right. Now that you understand the symbolism of the farmer, let's next turn our attention to the symbolism of the field. We know who the farmer is, but what in the world does the field represent? That's what we'll look at next. And Jesus tells us the answer in verse 38. He says, the field is the world. The field is the world. In Jesus' parable, the field belonged to the farmer, right? Not the farmer's enemy. No, it belonged to the farmer. And it's where he planted his wheat. However, this same field that belonged to the farmer is also where the farmer's enemy planted weeds. And now Jesus explains to us that the field represents the earth in which we all live, which belongs, again, to the farmer. I love Psalm 24:1, which reminds us of this great truth. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to Him. Why is the earth the Lord's? Because He created it. As the Apostle John put it, through Him, meaning through the Lord Jesus, all things were made. And without Him, nothing was made that has been made. So, Jesus, the Lord, was at creation and remains the sovereign over the earth. Now, Adam and Eve were installed as vice regents, as those who would rule on behalf of their sovereign. But sadly, through sin, Adam and Eve forfeited their right to rule. And guess who began ruling in their place? Not a trick question. Who began ruling in their place? Satan. And this is why Jesus on three different occasions in John's gospel refers to Satan as the ruler of this world. And it's why the apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 refers to Satan as the God of this age and why he in Ephesians chapter 2 refers to Satan as the prince of the power of the air. He is the ruler. He is the God of this age. He is the prince of this age. But understand, Satan is not the rightful ruler. The Son of Man is the rightful ruler. In the parable, the field belonged to the farmer. And Jesus is the farmer. And the field represents the world. And Jesus, the Son of Man, is the rightful sovereign over the world. However, Satan is temporarily ruling because Adam and Eve forfeited their right to rule when they sinned. Now, one day... The son of man will be given dominion and glory and a kingdom and he will rule over the earth forever. But friends, that will happen in the age to come. In the age that you and I live in right now, which is the church age, Satan is ruling on this earth. But all this to say in Jesus's parable, the field symbolizes the world the world that rightfully belongs to the Son of Man, but is temporarily under the control of the prince of the power of the air. So the field represents the world currently under Satan's control. Okay, now that you understand the symbolism of the field, let's next turn our attention to the symbolism of the good seed. Friends, in our story there was good seed that represented wheat, there was bad seed that uh, represented weeds. And Jesus says this, the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. So the good seed represents, long story short, the children of God. The good seed represents Christians here called the sons of the kingdom. So this is interesting. Remember, Jesus is the farmer and he scatters good seed, which represents Christians throughout his field, which represents the world. So the idea is Jesus has scattered his followers all throughout the field of this world. And the biblical view is that wherever we happen to be, we are planted there in our marriage, in our job, in our family, in our neighborhood. We are planted there by the Lord for a specific purpose that we might bear the fruit of righteousness. And bear testimony to everyone who's lost in our lives about Jesus. So the field is the world, and the good seed represents Christians that Jesus has strategically placed all throughout the world to bear the fruit of righteousness and to bear testimony about Jesus. So that's the symbolism of the good seed. The good seed represents the children of God. Okay, now let's turn our attention to the symbolism of the bad seed. Jesus says this in the latter part of verse 38, the weeds, which were the result of the bad seed are the sons of the evil one. So whereas the good seed represents the children of God, the bad seed represents the children of Satan. Just as God has his children strategically planted throughout the world to do good, so Satan has his children strategically scattered throughout the world to do evil. Jesus is at work in the world through his children, and Satan is at work in the world through his children. Now, just as God has a purpose for his children to point people to the salvation that can be found only through faith in Christ. So Satan is working through his children to stop the children of God. As we're going to learn shortly, Satan is a spiteful enemy of God who is seeking revenge on God. And he knows the best revenge he can get is to hurt God by hurting God's children. And so what does he do? He scatters unbelievers who bring up evil stumbling blocks for the children of God and tempt them into sin that they might give into it, that they might uh, obey its desires and that ultimately they might uh, receive at the coming judgment eternal condemnation instead of eternal life. So friends, the good seed represents the children of God. The bad seed that turned into weeds Represents the children of the devil, each who have a job to do here on this earth during the church age. Okay, now that you understand the symbolism of the bad seed, let's turn our attention to the symbolism of the enemy. Jesus says this in verse 39 The enemy who sowed them, the enemy who sowed the bad seed that produced weeds, is none other than the devil. The enemy is the devil. Now, in Jesus's parable, you had an enemy of the farmer sow seeds of weeds in his field of wheat. And what you and I need to know in order to understand the symbolism here is this. Back in Jesus's day, if someone felt that you had wronged them greatly... They would become spiteful and they would seek revenge. And a very common way to get revenge back then in an agrarian society was to go ahead and plant bad seed in someone's field of wheat, because that would ruin the crop, or or at least it would diminish the crop. And in that way, you would get revenge on your enemy. So the uh, enemy who represents the devil. In Jesus' story, the enemy is someone who feels they have been uh, wronged. And now, spitefully, they are seeking revenge. And friends, now that we understand that, it's a perfect word picture for Satan. Oh, by the way, this was common enough in Jesus' day that the Romans actually had a law on their books that dealt with the issue of this very thing happening. Roman law dictated the punishment that would be given to the person who sought revenge on their enemy by planting bad seed in their field to ruin his crop and diminish his harvest. And friends, this is a perfect illustration for Satan. Remember, in eternity past, Satan was Lucifer, one of the most beautiful and powerful of angels in heaven. He's a spirit being created by God, just like all the other angels. But Satan, according to Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel 28, sought to usurp God on the throne. Satan wanted to rule in God's place. And for his rebellion against God, he was cast down to earth. And so Satan is now the spiteful enemy of God who is seeking to get revenge on God. So friends, here's how it works. God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So remember, the field in the story represents the earth. So here's the earth, and God's the farmer. And what did he do? He scattered good seed in the field of his earth. One seed was named Adam, one seed was named Eve. The sons of righteousness. But what did Satan do? He came in. And where God had planted good seeds that would grow wheat, the enemy came in and planted bad seed that would grow weeds. In other words, he came in and he planted the seeds of temptation in the field of this world. And as we know, tragically, Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve were lured into temptation and they sinned against God. And Satan continues to lure as many people as he can, especially believers. I mean, the unbelievers, he's already got them. He's especially working on believers to lure them into sin and temptation that they might miss out on eternal life. And at the coming judgment, receive eternal condemnation instead of receiving the gift of eternal life. So friends understand who is the enemy in Jesus's parable. Jesus says, the enemy who sowed the bad seed is the devil. And now that you understand the symbolism of the enemy, let's turn our attention to the sixth of the seven symbols in our story, the symbolism of the harvest. Jesus says this in the next part of verse 39. He says the harvest, the harvest time in the story, the harvest is the end of the age. So harvest time in the story represents the end of the age, the end of the church age that you and I are living in right now in jesus's parable the wheat and the weeds grew together until the wheat became ripe and needed to be harvested when it was finally time for the wheat to be harvested first the weeds were pulled and bundled and burned and then the wheat was harvested processed and stored safely in the farmer's barn And now Jesus explains to us that harvest time in his story represents the end of the church age, the age that we're living in now. So friends, I covered this two weeks ago, but by way of review, let's remember that the church age began on the day of Pentecost. So Jesus died for the sins of the world, he resurrected from the grave, he ascended back to heaven, and 50 days later was the day of Pentecost. On that day the Apostle Peter preached a powerful sermon about Jesus and how he conquered death and was the promised Messiah, and 3,000 people believed on Jesus as Lord and Savior. And the Holy Spirit indwelt them, and so the church age was born. It began 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost. Friends, just as the church age began at a certain point in time on a certain day, so the church age will end at a certain point in time on a certain day. As it began on the day of Pentecost, it will end on the day where the rapture of the church takes place where Jesus returns to collect the sons and daughters of righteousness on the earth to go and be with him forever in heaven. Friends, you and I are living somewhere between the start of the church age and the end. We're 2,000 years in right now. I don't know. Are we halfway? Are we more than halfway with how evil and wicked things are becoming? I tend to believe we're closer towards the end. Uh, But either way, we are somewhere between the beginning and the end. But we are living in a time-bound, temporary age called the church age. So that's what the harvest represents. The harvest in Jesus' story represents the end of the current age in which we live, which we call the church age. All right, now that you understand the symbolism of the harvest, let's lastly, let's let seventhly and lastly turn our attention to the symbolism of the reapers. Jesus says in verse 39 that the reapers in his story represent the angels. Now, these are not uh, demonic angels called demons. These are the good angels, okay? Just angels. These are the good guys. In Jesus' parable, at harvest time, the reapers were the ones who collected, bundled, and burned the weeds and who harvested, processed, and stored safely the wheat in the farmer's barn. And now Jesus explains to us that the reapers here are symbolic of the angels of God who will play a major role for God at the end of the church age. And Jesus tells us the role they will play in verses 40 to 42. Jesus says, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. And notice all the focus on the weeds here. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and he will throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, in the fiery furnace of hell, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and so will be fulfilled the prophecy that when Messiah King comes, wickedness will be rooted out of the earth. It does not happen now. I hate to discourage the sermons intended to encourage, but before we can get to the encouragement, we have to face the discouraging reality that right now with the weeds is the wheat, and right now they're all intermingled together. But Jesus says, that's temporary, and the time is coming. At the end of the church age, I'll get the angels involved, and then I will remove evil from the earth. All right, so far we've covered number one, the story. Number two, the symbols. Now, lastly, let's cover the significance. And, friends, this is really the outline I plan to follow for all of Jesus' parables in Matthew 13. I think there are seven of them or so going off memory here, so forgive me if I'm wrong. But the story, the symbols, the significance. And that's what we're following today, and we'll follow for each and every parable. The significance. Jesus' disciples were living in evil times, just like you and I are. They're very discouraged. It's not fun to live in a world where sometimes one person takes another person's life. It's not fun to live in a world where sometimes a loved one has been molested by some evil person and now has to live with that weight for the rest of their life. It's not fun living in a world where, where someone is, is raped and then a short while later the rapist gets to go free and live back on the earth and the person who has been taken advantage of and violated, that's the per- they never get over that. They never get to go free from that in a sense. It's terrible living in a, in a world filled with, with sin that causes so much hurt and so much pain and so much damage. And so the disciples are looking around and they're just going, you know, people call what is evil, they call it good, and, and, and other people call what is good, they call it evil, and in Jesus' word, we just don't want to live in a world like this anymore. And don't you ever feel that same way? I know I do. I, I just, I don't want to live in a world like this. That's why every single day, the favorite part, my favorite part of the Lord's Prayer is, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because I, I don't like God's will is not being done in so many instances on this earth. We see so much wickedness, and it causes so much pain and so much suffering. So Jesus' disciples, they see all this the same way you and I do, and they say, Jesus, when is it going to change? When are you going to turn things right? When are you going to take away evil and replace it with righteousness? When will righteousness flood the earth? Because Jesus, that's what we want. And he shares the encouraging parable that he's given us today to give an answer to their question as well as ours. Friends, in verse 43, Jesus finally directly answers the question. He says this, oh, you want to know when I will root out evil from my kingdom? Let me tell you, then... At the end of the church age when I enlist the help of the angels to be reapers, to remove all sources of evil from the world, then it's going to happen. Then at that point, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Isn't that awesome? Then, then, not now, that's discouraging. But then, that's encouraging. It tells us the time is coming. I know it's hard to believe it looking at me now, but I used to be a cross-country runner. <laughs> and sometimes you would just feel like I'm going to throw up if I take another step. I'm going I'm to fall over and die if I push my heart any harder. Now that happens as I walk up three stairs. But back then, I would do mile after mile after mile, and there's just, oh my goodness, I can't make it to the end. I can't keep going like this. And then you turn the corner, and you see the finish line. And you're like, I got some fresh wind in my sails. I I can keep going now that I know the end is near. Now that I know the end is in sight. Well, friends, what Jesus wants us to understand today is that we are 2,000 years into the church age. And with how evil things are right now on the earth, we have to be where the end is in sight. And you know what? Even if it won't happen in our lifetime, hey, I'm still encouraged that every second that ticks by, we get one second closer to the time where God the Father, the Ancient of Days, turns over to Jesus, the Son of Man, dominion and glory and a kingdom the time when Jesus will begin ruling over that kingdom forever. Amen. And at that time, evil will be rooted out. At that time, all sources of temptation will cease as long as, the evil pe- as, lo- as well as the evil people who put those sources of temptation in place. And friends, it's going to be glorious. And it's coming. And that should bring great encouragement to us. We can hang in there and we can persevere, and we can keep going because of the knowledge and the reality that this temporary period of insanity on the earth, it will not last forever. So what's the significance of a passage like this? Uh, Here it is, and this is me. This is not a Bible verse, just to be clear, but here's my summary. Here's the significance of this parable. Jesus is telling us through this parable the day is coming when Jesus will put a stop to evil in this world. The day is coming when God's law will be the law of the land. The day is coming when right will be called right and evil will be called evil instead of the way it is now. The day is coming when all stumbling blocks that trip God's children up in sin will be removed along with those who put them there so that God's children will never again be hindered by sin or experience the pain and suffering and regret that sin inevitably causes. Friends, the day is coming. The day is coming. The day is coming coming and we are closer to it now than we've ever been before. So hang in there. Hang in there. It's not going to go on like this forever. You can hang on. You can keep serving Jesus because this is all temporary. So don't give up. Jesus is going to set things straight once and for all. And friends, it might just be right around the corner. So don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Hang in there. Hang in there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word today. Thank you for encouraging us. It's discouraging that it's not right now, but it's encouraging to know it's coming and that it could be right around the corner. God, however long it takes, thank you that you won't let the insanity continue forever. God, sometimes I just, I just want to scream thinking about how evil is called good and good is called evil. It's so messed up right now. But God, you know that. So you've given us this parable to encourage us saying, yeah, right now the weeds and the wheat, they grow up together right now. It's all messed up right now. It's all mixed in, but it's temporary. The weeds will be removed. They will be pulled. They will be bundled. They will be burned, but the wheat will be harvested, will be processed and will be barned forever safely in the kingdom of the son of man. And God, we're so grateful that through faith in Jesus, we have access and the privilege of being citizens forever in that kingdom. God, we give you praise. God, help us to hang in there. Help us to not let waves of discouragement crash over us like waves, hitting us over and over and over to the point where we give up, succumb to evil, begin going with the flow of culture. God, heaven forbid, help us, we pray. Help us to hang in there. Help us to persevere. Help us to keep our eyes on the glorious hope we have, the kingdom that's coming. We give you praise. And we pray in the precious name of our King, Jesus, the Son of Man. Amen. Thanks for experiencing this message with us. Do you want more New Day Church in your life? Well, please like and subscribe on YouTube and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Want to take a next step in your faith? Our Church Center app is the best place to get more connected. So just download the free app on your app store today and be sure to choose New Day Church in Enfield, Connecticut. We are able to offer this sermon and all others like it only because of your faithful financial support. Thank you to all of you who so faithfully give each week. If you feel led to support our ministry financially, just go to our website at newdaychurch.cc forward slash give. Thank you in advance. May God richly bless you, and we hope to see you again real soon.